Welcome to Utah Youth Rugby Podcast. Today's guest will be Danny Christensen, former Utah youth, uh, university, and professional rugby player. So I guess we'll just start off then. Do you just kind of want to give a bit of a background for yourself, how you got into rugby, the different teams that you've played on, just kind of, I don't know, your whole path? Yeah, for sure. Um, you guys might have to, like, jump in and be like, hey, can we hurry it up a little bit? Like, you're talking too much about yourself. I'm a no, bit of a rambler, so, like, do not hesitate to be like, bro, get to it. Um, so I, uh, I I have a kind of a funny story to getting into rugby. My uncle um, was a high school rugby coach, pretty well known in the state of Utah. Larry Gellux is my uncle. Oh, yeah. Um. And uh, when I was growing up, I was uh, a year older in school, but only a couple months older uh, than his youngest son, Keaton. Okay. So I was, and Keaton and I were inseparable when we were little. So I was, uh, I was responsible for distracting him while Larry was coaching at Highland. I was, as a little kid, responsible for distracting him. So we were out playing on the playground or passing around rugby ball at uh, the Highland rugby practices from the time I was five, six years old. Um, I actually, when I was, when I was younger, got to go to like, I think five high school national championship tournaments, uh, before I was ever playing, just got to travel with the team and, you know, like the era of like Haloti Nata and all that kind of stuff was when I was hanging out with, with Keaton and distracting him. And it was kind of the, the thing for us to do at practice was to line up on opposite ends and the boys would all cheer us on. We'd literally run into each other. <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, so that's how I got into it. Um, but when I got into eighth grade, uh, despite being severely undersized, my uh, uncle Larry uh, said, you can come out and practice with the high school team in eighth grade. So I really actually started training in rugby as an eighth grader. So what was that like 13 years old? Um, yeah, that's pretty young. Yeah. I was, for for I was that time. For sure, for sure. Um, and then, yeah, I got to play for Highland, including my eighth grade year, for five total seasons and saw a handful of national championships, saw some really, really good rugby players come and go and go on to other ranks and do some cool stuff. Uh, and uh, so that's that's my Utah youth rugby story. Okay. From there, Blake Burdett hit me up. I was actually going to uh, – <laughs> Uh, I was actually going to go play uh, football at snow. I was uh, a, uh, what's it called? Something walk-on. Preferred walk-on? Where, yeah, preferred walk-on. That's what it was. And I think uh, Coleman was like, one of those as well. Oh, really? I, think, I mean, you were a way better football player than I was. So I <laughs> <should've>, <laughs> this isn't the Coleman sense. interview. This isn't the sorry, Coleman sorry. interview. <laughs> uh, but no, yeah, I was I was planning on going to snow. And... Uh, I, <laughs> classic high school senior in high school fashion. Uh, the one thing that snow asked me to do is to send him film. And I, of course didn't do that. And so they were like, well, you didn't send us any film. So we filled that spot, but you're welcome to actually come to the walk on tryout. Went to the walk on tryout. They said, thanks, but no thanks. I uh, attempted benching 185. First time I failed for one rep. Second time I got one rep. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, so anyways, had that as my game plan forever and totally let it slip. And uh, a couple weeks later, Blake Burdett called me. I literally was laying in bed at like 8.30 or 9 in the morning, summer after graduating. 
Like, like, heard you're not playing football anymore. And I was like, no. He's like, come play rugby at the U. And I was like, okay, sounds good. It's a good. classic Blake thing to do. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Just, he, you know, he's just hunting. He was just oh, yeah. hunting for, like, okay, who's not going to play football? Who is? Mm-hmm. And uh, he's really I just good so at happened that. to, uh, yeah, <laughs> he actually is unreal good at that. Um, so, yeah, ended up at the U, played uh, freshman season, and then uh, went on a mission to Fiji. That was really cool. After Fiji came home and played another four seasons at the University of Utah, and then uh, from there played some haggis, played a little bit of the, uh, he's called the Salt Lake Select 15, the year before the MLR started. Uh, it's kind of like the precursor, and played on that team. And then uh, eventually, after uh, <laughs> a bunch of trial and error, finally made my way onto the work, played with the Warriors for a few years, and now I'm here in Dallas. Sweet. And let's uh, let's talk a little bit more about the professional career. How was the decision making process to decide you wanted to do this, like as a professional thing? That's a good question, uh, and it's in some ways like my story like comes off a, li- a bit more like <laughs> cinematic, dramatic than I think it actually was. I think it was just like. I don't think I ever really thought like, oh, I'll quit my day job and become and play rugby full time. Like, I don't think that ever really was in the thought process until the opportunity actually came up. And that didn't come up until I'd been training with the Warriors for three seasons, probably. So it was it was definitely like a lot more like, no, I just want to play rugby at the highest level that I possibly can. And then over a three, four year period, it turned into, hey, is going to be a, a full-time job for you. Okay. But that's, yeah, that's I guess I, I just, Less. I just kind of like left you guys on a cliffhanger. <laughs> yeah, I was like, Oh, I have this like, really it. dramatic story, but like, you know, uh, basically what that story is, is, uh, um, I played with that Salt Lake select 15 team and they had me playing fly half. I played fly half in college all through right. high school, all growing up. I always played scrum half in college. I played fly half cause I was frankly the only one that could do it. And I didn't do it very well, but like, I did it well enough to be the best option, I guess. Um, and so that was really good for my rugby development in some ways, really f- frustrating in others. I didn't quite get the high-level development playing scrum half that uh, a lot of those that I was competing against did because I was playing a different position. Um, and it wasn't like I would switch back and forth or I'd get some minutes of scrum half. It literally was like my freshman year before my mission, I probably played four or five games um, at scrum half. And then I played four or five games at wing. And then the second that I got home for my mission, I did not set foot in any other Jersey besides the number 10. Um, I legitimately think that I rested like one half of my collegiate career. And other than that, I played fly half every minute of every game for four years. Because, uh, um, it was Don Potty that was playing scrum half, right? Yeah, Don was playing nine, okay. and coincidentally, Don and I actually played together in high school. We played we played our senior years together, um, and uh, I went on my mission, and Don and I came home, and Don was like the most electric rugby player I'd ever seen in my life. Oh yeah, I was like what the I hell happened? Uh, but uh, yeah, no, I Don played nine for a while, and then when Don stopped playing rugby at the U, uh, my brother in law Nate Kingsford actually was my scrum half. He wasn't my brother-in-law at the time, but uh, ended up marrying my sister, and uh, now he's my brother-in-law. So, small um, world. But yeah, yeah, I know. Seriously. <laughs> um, but yeah, so <laughs> once again, 
clear example of me just rambling. No, the reason no, this is for great. all that backstory, the, <laughs> the reason for that backstory is um, when I got to the when I got to play for the Select Fifteen, they started me for like the first week or two uh, playing Scrum Half, right. and I think that they kind of just. We had Joe Nichols on the team. We had Ben Nichols, who are both very good scrum halves. And I what, think... What year was this? Was this 2020? No, no. This was the year before the MLR started. Oh, so this okay, was, okay. I think, 2017. Oh, okay. I I was thinking I think. that it was the select season uh, that uh, yeah. both of you and I were both on. I'm thinking like... I don't remember that happening, but okay. Yeah, 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 so. Joe, and, Joe and Ben never played that. Yeah, year. I was like, I don't no, yeah, so so Ben and Joe were, then started playing scrum half, and I started playing fly half, and it was kind of like okay, like I already knew I, I don't have the skill set. I mean, it, I guess it's a developed thing, but like in my opinion, I don't have the natural skill set to play fly half at this level. It's really and hard. So, yeah, <laughs> for sure, and like. My kicking was never quite accurate enough. My boot isn't big enough. Like, you know, it, it just, I don't think ever would have worked out. And so they then switched me to fly half. So I started playing fly half and that was, you know, I think I played fly half from the first game on. Um, and that was fun. That was when I first got to meet some of the boys that played year one. That was when I met Sayo Hila for the first time. Like a lot of the guys who, uh, were those early warriors and, uh, once again, played fly half, and at the end of the season, uh, it came down to they offered certain people straight from that team contracts, uh, and then they had a combine. And so they were like, hey, look, we're not going to offer you a contract, but you're welcome to come to the combine. And I was like, awesome. So I went to the combine, actually performed really well. Like Fitness time-wise, I think we ran a Bronco, and I think I had the fastest Bronco. If not, I think actually Joe Nichols might have beat me by a couple seconds. Okay. Um, and then just, say, uh, just my, say that you had the fastest one. That's all you got. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I was totally we'll the fastest, <laughs> fastest Bronco for sure. By uh, a long shot then, as well. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. But uh, I, and then I was actually like sprint time. I had like the second fastest sprint time behind Nata Lauti. So I was like, hell yeah, like I'm feeling pretty good. Like this is pretty solid. And uh, I got a phone call from Kimball, and he said, hey, we're not going to offer you a contract. Uh, but he's like, we do have something in the works for you. Just kind of stay tuned. And this was probably end of the summer, and the, the first MLR season was that started that following January. So I was kind of like, all right, cool. Like, all right, no contract, but, you know, I'm always down to kind of play the underdog role a little bit and uh, see if we can make our way into earning a contract. And uh, I kind of just got iced. And I don't think it was intentional by Kimball, but like I basically just kind of sat around, didn't hear anything. A couple months later, sent him an email. I was like, hey, just checking in, didn't hear anything. And then I uh, I checked back in like mid-February, end of February. And uh, at that point, the season, of course, had already started. And uh, and I was like, hey, like, do you have any update for me? Like uh, I was, I'm kind of still waiting and like staying fit and working out and all that kind of stuff, trying to figure out what's going on. And uh, Kimball goes, no, we just don't have an update for you yet. Like, stay tuned. I'll get back in touch with you as soon as I can. Didn't hear anything for a couple more months. And I legitimately, could, uh, I don't know if the, the field that they practiced on year one, do any of you guys know where that is over up in Lehigh? Oh, I don't. It's by all the business buildings. Yeah, like, uh, I think it's like touch right? tournaments. 
Yeah, exactly. It's where that touch tournament, the touch tournaments were a year like away a long time ago. I don't know if they still are there. Are they still there? I think they still. I think the e. I think the uh, the first year of that like Utah only, which was essentially just like the Poly League, played there. Um, anyways, so we we trained. They trained there, and I after work one day, I'd kind of like been game planning this for a while, and uh, after work one day, I was like. I know their training schedule. Of course, a lot of my really good friends were on the team. Right. Like, I'm just going to show up. I'm going to show up. I'm going to go, and I'm going <laughs> to, after they break, uh, I'm going to go straight up to the head coach, and I'm just going to ask him if I can come practice with the team. And uh, <laughs> I'll never forget. It was like it was right next to like a little like two-level parking garage, and it was raining. I think there was lightning, so they were actually like, doing like some random little passing drills in like underneath uh, in the, in the parking area. And I was like, I remember just like kind of hiding around the corner. I felt like, I don't know. I felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. I felt like a peeping Tom or something. Like I just like felt like, what is going on? Like, why do I feel so weird? Of course I'm super nervous and, uh, waited for 10, 15 minutes for practice to end. And, uh, then as the team dispersed, I kind of just like jogged, ran over there to, to get, uh, the attention of the head coach, who at the time was, uh, I can't remember his name. Uh, he was age grade coach uh, for Waikato. He's from New Zealand. Oh, um, Elvis? Um, yeah, uh, no, it wasn't Elvis. It was, uh, oh my gosh, I can see his face. Anyways, it doesn't matter. And I just went straight up to him and I was like, hey, my name's Danny Christensen. Can I practice with you guys? Because at this time, at this point, they were struggling, they had a handful of injuries. Um, they were actually uh, trying to get Johnny Linehan to come back, and he ended up coming back to play fly half. I was like, they had no, they didn't have a fly half because of because of an injury, and uh, and I was like, yeah, I'm like a scrum half fly half. He's like, yeah, I mean, I guess. <laughs> and I was like, okay, cool. So from then on, I uh, started showing to practice, and uh, I, it was funny because I never really got any there was no communication to me from Kimball or from anybody else but a lot of the boys like really kind of rallied around me I'll never forget um uh Vita Tomalau's little brother Maka Tomalau uh he played prop big dude he was almost like my protector I'll never forget one time they brought in uh just a bunch of gear and they were just like everybody's like come up and get your size and I just kind of like hung back and he was like, bro, why aren't you going to get one of these shirts? And I was like, oh, because I'm not really on the team. <laughs> you know, I was like, I, I'm not trying to step on any toes. And he goes, what's your size? And I was like, bro, I'm not going to tell you. And he's like, no, tell me what your size is. And I was like, okay, fine. So he walks over and he walks straight up and looks Kimball in the face. And he goes, I need a medium for Danny. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh, <laughs> like, bro, chill out. Like I'm already on thin ice. But like, like a lot of the boys were like really, really cool to me. Um, I didn't get any kit. I actually rocked up to uh, some like random Warriors event, and I purchased practice gear <laughs> from them at retail. Uh, so I started so I could look like everybody else at practice, um, and it was a great experience. I mean, I got to play with some really good players. Of course, was never even considered for selection, but just like being around it was like, oh, man, this is cool. Like, I wish I could figure out a way to actually break into the squad. But eventually, um, you you did right. I did, but it took a little while longer. So season two rolls around, and they had a combine. Of course, I had no communication from the team, so I figured, all right, I guess I'll rock up to the combine and see how that goes. Went to the combine year two, very similar story. Uh, top in a couple of the key metrics. Um, 
And end of the combine, they reached out to me this time. Instead of saying, hey, we'll get back to you, they just said, hey, thanks, but no thanks. Like, hey, we appreciate your effort, like, but we're good. Thank you. And I was like, all right, sounds good. And at that point, I was playing on the weekends for Haggis. Uh, I was, you know, just enjoying rugby periodically just because I love the game. Right. Uh, but wasn't really doing anything with it. And so I basically took that year two – I wasn't involved with the Warriors at all. Um, that summer after a year or two, so fast forward, I guess, a year and a half from my last practice, uh, Ben Nichols and uh, Jeff Hollinger coached a sevens team. Uh, it was the, uh, the, the same Utah, similar Utah team that uh, had, had gone and done some really cool stuff. I had played on that sevens team in the couple of years before. And Ben was like, "Hey, come out and play with us," because Ben knew that I always wanted to be involved. He was yeah. he was he was involved with the Warriors pretty heavily, playing and coaching. And uh, so he he invited me to come out for that seven team. Tons of fun, had an awesome summer. We didn't place as well as as we normally did or did in previous years, but it was good for me to be able to spend a little bit more time with Ben because we were friends. But like he had never actually coached me, or we'd never really spent all that much time outside of that select fifteen playing for the same side at reasonably high level. So, played sevens for Ben, and then Ben was named the, uh, I guess technically the assistant coach when they hired Chris Latham. Um, of course, at this point they had signed a, a year two. The Warriors really struggled. They didn't. They did. I think they won like four games or something. Three games. Yeah, because the first year they, they had, did really well, and then the second year uh-huh. it was a bit of a fall off. For and sure. I, was, I, was that year one? Was that two thousand nineteen? Yes, the 2019 year? Okay. was year two. Uh-huh. And I think, of course, they lost Paul Asike to the Harlequins. Yep. They lost Vita Tomalau to uh, – he went and played in Glasgow for the Glasgow yeah. Warriors. Like, they lost a lot of like big names. Um, I think some of the guys that were anchors, both in the forwards and backs. But for whatever reason, year two seemed to struggle. Um, and uh, – so anyway, they didn't they didn't do all that well, and of course there was a coaching change at that point. They hired Chris Latham, and then they had Ben come in and be the interim. I don't think they were ever really planning on Chris Latham staying that long, just because he was already coaching for the he's he was on the staff for the uh, Samoan national team, but I don't remember exactly what what his role was. But he basically it was kind of like everybody knew he was going to make his way up the coaching ladder pretty quick. Yeah. And so I think that they, they brought Ben on cause they had, you know, the goal of potentially having him fill Latham's role after having a year or two to learn from him. So Ben was essentially the assistant coach for the 2020 season, which was the COVID year. And Joe Nichols at this point had played for the Warriors for two years. Uh, he was either the number one or the number two year one and year two. Um, and, uh, this next season for year three, they had brought in two new scrum halves and they, they kind of had slated him to be third string and Joe decided, nah, I'm going to move to Hawaii, start a, a construction management, construction leadership career. And he up and moved to Hawaii. So Ben called me about a month into preseason. So it would have been February of 2020. And he said, Hey, um, Joe's leaving. We don't have a third string scrum half. Every rugby team needs a third string scrum half at this level. Uh, he's like, we won't pay you. You will be on the team though this time. But he's like, we'll give you all the kit. But like, 
you have the potential of earning a contract. And if you make a, a 23, if you make one of the rosters for game day, they have to start paying you. So you basically will sign a contract before they can select you. Um, so I was like, oh, hell yeah, this is all I've ever wanted. You know, it was just an opportunity to, you know, strap up with the boys again and be able to compete at a high level. And so I did. Tons of fun. Absolutely loved that 2020 season, even though it was only six games. Um, I uh, got to learn a lot from an emerging MLR and USA Rugby guy, Michael Basca, who to this day is absolutely one of my top mentors as a scrum half. Uh, he was the second stringer that year. And then the starter um, was, it, was, was Dwayne. Davies? Oh, never mind. No, Davies was, was coaching that year. Yeah. That was Davies' first year coaching. Okay. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Dwayne had played for the Samoan national team. He actually was uh, the year one of Moana Pacifica played there. Awesome guy. Oh, did Such he? a great player. Yeah, really, really good player. Um, and uh, so I got to just kind of train behind and learn from them. And keep in mind at this point, this was really my first time starting to train at Scrum Half since I was 18 years old. Um, and so I was, it was, you know, going from zero coaching to all of a sudden playing with and being coached by some of the best, you know, American Scrum Halves in Sean Davies and Michael Basco, but also in, uh, you know, a Samoa International. So tons of fun, awesome opportunity. I, was, of course, was still working full time at that time. I wasn't being paid. And uh, week six against Seattle, um, that week I had to miss Wednesday, or it was Tuesday training, I think, because I had to go to a conference in Nashville. So I missed the practice that week, but Chris Latham was like, we might need you on the bench still uh, because Dwayne's, I think he had a quad or something like that. And I was like, okay, I'll bring all my gear and all my kit with me to Nashville and then I can meet you guys in, uh, in Seattle um, if, if I'm needed. Um, because I missed a training, I think that really heavily influenced the decision, but they then decided we're just going to bring Dwayne. We're just going to keep him on. We're going to have him on the bench and then we'll bring him on if we absolutely need to. Uh, but like, you're good. Just fly home to Utah. And I was like, shit, like that was the one, you know, that was my opportunity and I let it slip. Um, Michael Baskin ended up playing 90 minutes that game and it was a 90 minute thriller it was tied and t- I, we, we made, we scored a game winning try. And once again, we went 10 minutes over into extra time. And it was, it was an unreal game. The boys were like on point starting to play some really, really good rugby, just beat Seattle who had won the first two championships. And we come into training on Monday and they said, Hey, season's canceled. It's all over. Like <laughs> we're going home. So um, um, there were two big things from that experience that I will never forget. Number one was I made a decision. I made a choice that I would never let something like that get in my way of getting to that level, getting to the point. Cause at this point it was like, okay, I'm on the team now. Next goal, earn a contract. Right. Yeah. And having that so close and then like, knowing that like my commitment to my job, which was of course how I'm paying my bills. That was pretty important. Yeah. Uh, was what made it. So I wasn't available to, you know, be at practice. And of course that affected my selection. And, uh, so that was, that was a really, really big thing. And then the second thing was, I think I kind of had a realization when I had a guy like Chris Latham, because before this, like, keep in mind three years of trying to break on the squad and just like, 
not really getting a shot or really getting any consideration. I, of course, was kind of doubting. I, I knew I wanted to, and I was going to work as hard as I possibly could to get to that point. But, like, I think I was kind of doubting, like, can I actually compete at this level? And I think I had a realization when I literally was on the phone with Chris Latham, like, super rugby legend, wallaby, like, one of the best wallaby fullbacks of all time. And, like, he was about to select – he was considering selecting me for a game day roster. And I think I kind of had the realization, like, huh, I think I actually can compete at this level. You know, um, so yeah, COVID year happened, season ended, uh, year, the next year they called me back and they said, Hey, we're willing to do the same thing we did last year. If you're interested. And I was like, sign me up. so no contract, uh, third stringer, no anticipation and anticipation of playing unless of course there was an injury or something, which at this level is pretty, it's, I mean, it's bound to happen. Yeah, yeah. A team, yeah, common. a team in the MLR not playing at some point three different scrum halves is, is pretty rare. Um, and so, anyways, came on, and I think it was like week five. Um, I, I was playing that year. Michael Basque was the starter, and he was getting USA time at that at that point. And then uh, uh, Fraser Hurst was uh, our our second string, and he was in the squad for Canada. And so, um, well, I think it was week five, Basca had a bit of a shoulder and, uh, um, I got, I got named to my first roster. So I got a contract. They're paying me hourly. I thought it was the coolest thing in the world and, uh, got to Boston, sat the bench for 80 minutes. The next game, can't even remember who it was against. Basque was still injured, sat the bench for 80 minutes. And so I, my first two selections, I sat the bench and didn't even get on. And, um, I th- that's pretty rare. Like, keeping. Yeah. I guess I just barely, I just barely sat eighty minutes. But it's pretty rare not to throw on a replacement nine. Um, and then after that, got my first cap. Uh, that was a crazy experience. Really, really cool. Michael Basca, like I told you, he's one of one of the biggest mentors I've ever had uh, in my in my rugby career. He was the one who presented me my first cap, which was a really cool moment. Um, and yeah, from there, I ended up getting a start at the end of that season. The only reason that I got a start was because Basca was in Europe on tour with the USA for the summer test that year. And then same thing with Fraser. He was also on tour in Europe with Canada for the summer test. And they just so happened to line up on the same week. So uh, I got a start. I played 80 minutes because I was legitimately the only option. And I think uh, I remember this game. What, what year was this? This was 2021. 2021, yeah. Was this an away um, it, game? Was this? No, it was a home game. It was against Atlanta. Oh, okay. And um, the, the, really, we lost. I think we ended up losing by like 14 or something like that. Um, but uh, the reason that it was big is because we secured a bonus point, and securing the bonus point locked us in for the playoffs. So it was a pretty significant game, uh, but we, of course, we had another season, another game. So we basically needed one point in the next two games to be able to, to, to confirm a playoff spot. Um, but we, we ended up doing it that game and, and I just, for whatever reason, opportunities and teammates supporting me, but like I, I didn't have a super fundamental game as a scrum half, but I ended up scoring two tries. I was named man of the match. It was MLR. I was on the MLR 15 of the week. And I think that that, cause I think that that then compounded on the moment that I had before. I was like, Holy cow, I was about to be selected to play for a professional rugby team. And then that one was like, I just got my first start and I scored two tries. I was like, Holy cow. Like I can do this, you know? Um, and, uh, 
Yeah. So then last year they ended up signing, signing me to, uh, they, they have a couple different types of contracts. Uh, one of them is a salary contract. One of them is an hourly contract. Um, it's NPC versus APC, different contract types. Associate versus something else. Player contract is what it stands for. Okay. And I ended up getting a salary contract last year for the Warriors. Really, really cool experience. Absolutely loved it. Um, got we, to play in a bunch more games. Got, go, go ahead, sorry. Were you still working full-time at this point? Um, yeah, I actually, okay. I was until, cause that was actually part of my contract, uh, in the 2022 season. Um, part of my contract was that I wasn't required to be at anything besides the afternoon training, which I think started at three. So basically I had like gym and like units that I was able to miss if I wanted to. And kind of going back to that, uh, that realization that I had of like, I'll never let something get in the way of me having an opportunity again. Um, I, uh, I decided in January of that year, this was a month into preseason. I was like, you know what? I am just going to fully commit and I'm going to do this full time. And I decided to quit my job, uh, pretty, a pretty aggressive pay cut. Um, and, uh, and decided to go full time with it, and it's I'm still out here doing it. So, yeah, I respect that decision a lot. That that'd be <laughs> tough because I yeah I, I don't know exactly what the the MLR salaries are, but I have a I have a fairly good idea. <laughs> they're not huge. Like, <laughs> That's my understanding. Yeah. Yes. Uh-huh. Not huge. Yeah, it was, uh, and I was in software sales, and I performed decently well. So like I made. Uh, a decent income for someone in their late twenties, early thirties. Yeah. Um, and, uh, so ever um, since then, year, uh, yeah. last year of the Warriors this year at Dallas, it's just been full-time rugby. Yep. It's been kind of cool. I've had some opportunities pop up here and there just because I, I did have like a seven or eight year sales career and a little bit in pharmaceuticals, but mostly in software. And, uh, because of that, I've had a lot of random little opportunities uh, to do like some consulting work. Right now, I'm actually working with a company where I am uh, basically just like working particular targeted deals that they want me to work. Okay. Um, and so like I do have those kind of things as a little bit of a supplemental income, and you know, they're things that in rugby, of course, it's recovery is a big deal, and so a lot of the job is literally just getting good rest. You have a day off in the middle of the week, like that kind of stuff. And so I usually do my best to kind of fill those times up with some consulting meetings while I'm at home focusing on recovery. And uh, it's been – that's one of the things about my situation is just like unbelievably lucky, like unbelievably blessed that like I can kind of fill in some of those holes with uh, with some big boy work. Right. Um, but uh, But yeah. So other than besides, besides doing some, you know, part-time on the side kind of stuff, that's uh, what I've been doing for the last uh, year, year and a couple months, I guess, almost a year and a half. That's pretty cool to be pretty much full-time. Um, in 2017, when you were just starting out, when the MLR was just starting out, did you ever think that this could be like a full-time thing for you? Absolutely not. Like I'm a, I'm like an optimistic glass half full, like big dreamer, you know, like it just is my personality, but like, (laughs) I no, I'll never forget like sitting there every week and hearing them select 
this team for the week uh, every Thursday after training on that field, remember exactly where it was every single week. And they'd also present first caps in that, in that like post training meeting. And uh, it was just out there on the field. And I'll never forget like watching people put their cap on for the first time and just like having people present it to them and be like, that would be so cool. It would be so cool just to get one game, just to get that one cap. That would be so amazing. And uh, yeah, here I am living in a completely different city, uh, halfway across the country uh, with, I think I just barely like 20, 21, maybe 22 caps now, professional caps. 22 caps. Yeah. How many and, for uh, Dallas? Um, I've been on every roster for Dallas so far. Oh, okay. Um, which has been fun. But last week I didn't get in. I sat the bench for 80 minutes, which wasn't fun. Um, but uh, so I guess that puts us at five Dallas caps. And then I think I have 16 or 17 Warriors caps. That's good. How, um, <clears throat> sorry. How, uh, how many other players are able to do – Pretty much full time, like between your experience between the Warriors and Dallas, how many have you been able to see do rugby full time without really having another job on the side? Good question. I think uh, years one, two, and three, it was very common that like it was no one's full time thing. Like the Warriors years one, two, and three practiced from like five to 10 p.m. Um, and so the first three years, it was very common. Almost everyone had another job. Um, Year uh, post COVID, they made uh, they basically upped NPC contracts to not be able to be hourly. They were all salary, and I think that was an effort to like make it so that this could become more full time job for more of the team. I would say last year probably eighty, uh, probably yeah seventy to eighty percent of the boys were full-time rugby. A couple of them would pick up little part-time jobs like working at a gym or, you know, something like that where they could just like, or driving stuff, like delivery type stuff. Um, But yeah, last year, I would say at the Warriors was probably 70, 80% full-time. Some of the guys did like construction on the side. Uh, Guys like Cy, like Cy has a restoration business. Um, And so he, he? of course, and yeah. Nice. So he he would be he'd throw something on his Instagram story of him like handling some flood disaster at two a.m. and then he was there at practice the next day. <laughs> Jeez. Um, but uh, but yeah. So I, I and now I mean here here for Dallas, I, I legitimately think that I of course do some some part time stuff and then Alex Tucci, who of course used to play for the Warriors. Oh yeah. Um, he does. He. Uh, he like manages a front desk at a gym, okay. uh, part time, you know. But uh, but other, other than that, every other you know forty thirty eight of the forty man roster is full time rugby. Wow, that's awesome! I didn't yeah. think it was. Yeah. I didn't think it was that much. I thought it would be about fifty fifty. But that's good to hear that it's it's paying worthwhile enough for people to be able to do it full time. Yeah, it's. Uh, I mean, you even have people. Dropping, I mean, pretty similar story to me. Dropping just about everything to uh, to make happen. I think it's just it's just one of those things. It's just like if you have an opportunity to and you don't like see it through, it's like man, like I never want to have to look back and be like, oh man, what if I would have given up my career for two years? And luckily, I'm I'm 32 and single, so no kids, no real, <laughs> no real responsibilities. Um, 
And so, like, I, I was just like, why wouldn't I? And I think there's a decent right. amount of guys that have the opportunity to pop up that are in a similar boat, and they're like, shoot, why wouldn't I? You know, even though it's yeah. not much money, it's you literally get to play rugby as your job. You know, it's like your favorite hobby is your job. What more? Not a you bad want? gig. Exactly. Yeah. You know, maybe a little bit more money, but well, uh, well, I, I mean, I guess you could want more, but you know, it's a pretty cool opportunity. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, Danny, coming back to the Utah youth rugby side of it, what would you say mm-hmm. to players that are in high school or, or in the youth system right now that are wanting to make it to the MLR or wanting to go professional, even if it's, you know, another country? Oh, I would, I would say, look, if, <laughs> I mean, I signed my first professional contract at the age of 30. If this like old five foot nine walked up, like, <laughs> <laughs> guy that you know at the time probably weighed 165 pounds if i can do it i promise you that you guys can for sure do it like it's it's definitely an attainable goal with the way the sport's developing and all that kind of stuff it's it's going to get harder and harder over time but we from the utah youth rugby organization for decades we should have a lot of professional rugby players in this league and i think one of the only reasons that we don't is you have a relatively conservative community in utah that comes home from lds missions or at a relatively young age gets married starts having a family and that right now i think is the only reason that there are not more utah youth rugby alumni in the MOR. Um, there is an opportunity, and by that time, you're going to be making good money. So <laughs> if if it is something that you want to do and it's and that someone wants to do, I would 100%, 110% say, go after it. Like, if I can do it, <laughs> anybody can do it, to be honest. Uh, but uh, That's really cool. Yeah. I, like, I like hearing your story because we, we kind of have me and you kind of have the same little character arc but I took that other split when they when they said hey we can give you your your um like internship basically is what uh Kimball had described mm-hmm. to me right after I got out of BYU um but I had my wife and we wanted to start a family soon and so I just said that's I do kind of I get what you're saying the the regret cuz you always I'll, I'll always have that thought in the back of my head should I just have tried and and tried to do it um, but yeah, it's cool to see that it is possible and you kind of had to work hard, no, totally. you got to work hard totally. and take that's, advantage of all your opportunities. And that's the thing. Had I been in your shoes, I would have made the same decision, you know? Yeah. It's like, so it's, you got to prioritize what matters most, you know, yeah. for sure. But, I, my, my story and I didn't really mention this. I don't think it's like super relevant, but I think one of the reasons why I'm in the situation that I'm in is I got married when I was 21 and I got divorced when I was 27. And so when I was 27 was literally 27, 28, 28 was literally right when I rocked up to that one practice and said, <laughs> hi coach, my name's Danny. Like, can I practice with you guys? Um, and so it, that turn in my life, I think is kind of what pushed me in that direction a little bit. Um, and it's not like the, the door just opened, like it was two, three years of <laughs> trying to figure it out. But like, I think that's the only reason I ended up in that direction because I did get married when I was 21 and I was fully planning on, you know, having kids and being married for the rest of my life. So, um, like I said, I totally would have been in your same boat, but my life situation just uh, changed a little bit and 
it uh, opened up that pathway to walk toward that door. Um, Kingston, I don't know if you have any more questions. Um, I'm I'm pretty much good. You do you have anything? No, yeah, I think that was good. It was really good to get a. Most of ours, there's been a lot more uh, kind of logistic things talking to the commissioners and the presidents and those guys. So yeah. it's cool to get a, a, just a podcast that's just a story of what could be for all these young players playing in the Utah youth rugby. Um, and yeah, I think it was really, really cool. Yeah. Thanks so much for coming on, giving us a bit of your time, Danny. No, of course. Appreciate it. You've got a great story as well. It's cool to hear. Thanks. It's a, it's a fun one to tell. Like I said, it sounds like way more dramatic than it actually is. Like I went from, I I actually get this. uh, I've heard this a few times that especially with longer hair, I look like Mark Wahlberg. I could see it. (laughs) And uh, a good friend of mine, (laughs) one of his favorite, one of his favorite things to say to me is he says, uh, Mark Wahlberg from, from the hit movie, Vincible, you know, it's like the, (laughs) the, the dumbed down joking version of the movie Invincible, but like, it really is kind of that way, you know, I mean, minus a a seven figure contract, um, you know, it, it has been kind of that thing for me. It's been fun. And like I said, I'm a 32 year old man that's still out here playing, playing rugby. And so lucky guy. We were, we were cheering for you that game. I remember we were all in our group text cheering for you when you scored those two <laughs> tries. So it's good you. to see the hometown hero bring it home. Yeah, no, the, and the funny thing is, I don't think I'd be in Dallas without the last game of last season, which was a very similar situation. Just so happened to have a really good game and caught the attention of Dallas, and the the Warriors actually came to me and were like, "Hey, we think uh, we think you're too old. We're, uh, <laughs> we're going to go a different direction." Yeah. And they were like, "You can you can help coach for our selects." Uh, um, or we can try and trade you. And I was like, yeah, trade me. You scored and, a hat trick uh, in that game, didn't you, though? Yeah, that was like literally the game. of yeah. I scored three tries, like once again, in a circumstance where I had to play 80 minutes after having been benched for the last like four-ish games of the season. Second, I guess, outside of the very last game. And yeah, played 80 minutes, scored three tries. That's uh, the one I remember watching. Yeah, that was... Uh, I, I was... Uh, man of the match, MLR team yep. of the week, and MLR player of the week, which was a which was a really really cool thing. And so once again, kids, <laughs> if I can do this, anybody can do this. If you literally, you know, just work as hard as you can to be the best player you can be, doors like this are available. Like we're at a cool cool time in professional rugby in the United States, where you don't have to be an absolutely psychopathic athlete to be able to get to that level like it does help time right now if you are oh no (laughs) yeah i don't know yeah no doubt if you have the genetics of an absolute freak like yeah Yeah. it definitely will help you but like bro like i said five foot nine like not that fast like very average athletically human you know if i can do it anybody can do it you know